0: great to have you this morning. Thank you for um, staying for the message. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> Thank you for staying. Um, so last week we began this series, and so just to kind of give you some of the reasonings why. So over the summer we kind of give our children workers a, kind of a the summer off to kind of recoup and and refresh. And so we have family worship, which means uh children's church is in here and so are the teens. And so it's a beautiful thing to worship together as a family. It also kind of allows the parents the opportunity to kind of to Sync up what is being spoken on Sundays and um, reinforce that during the week. Um, we also have, if, if you didn't get them, we have activity pages for the kiddos. Uh, there's plenty of them if you need to, to, to step out and get some for your kiddos. That's fine, but make sure that you get those when you come in. It's just some good stuff for the kids to play with, and and it all relates to what the message is all about. But We started this last week, Superheroes of the Bible. It's our family worship series for the summer, six weeks long, and we're in our second Second week. So last week, we talked about Jonathan and his armor bearer. Does anybody remember what his super characteristic was? Trust, yes. So trust is the characteristic that we learned last week, and Jonathan is an armor bearer defeating the Philistines. This week, we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is an incredibly larger-than-life character from the Old Testament. Uh, the chapter before chapter 18 in 1 Kings, we are introduced to Elijah, and he comes on the scene, and he addresses a serious issue with the people of Israel. The people of Israel were living in their newfound country of Canaan, and they had begun to worship the god Baal, and there was a king that had caused all of that to happen. King Ahab had married a priestess of Baal named Jezebel, you may be familiar with that, or have heard that, or you may have known somebody. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate that laugh, buddy. You got. You're here for me. All right. I, I waited a long time there, so um, it, it is. It is remarkable how, if you read the history of the the Jewish people, how like they went in this cycle of of being excited about being in the center of God's will to to worshiping other gods, and then something bad would happen, and they would go into captivity. Then they would repent and get right with God when, any, when, any, when anything bad would happen, and then they would come back to God, and then they kind of like us, kind of like us. So here you have them in Canaan. They are the children of Yahweh right they are the children of God they are his his nation his people living in Canaan now they're worshiping Baal now Baal was an unusual characteristic and it's a very vague term Baal was used for a lot of different things but and and I say Baal because that's what's in my head I think more proper pronunciation might be Baal like two syllables Baal but I know that I'm not going to say Baal during the message so I'm just going to say Baal from the beginning, and that way I don't get mixed up because halfway through I'm going to go from Baal to Baal, and it just, you know what I'm saying. So it's going to be Baal. So there were, so, so in chapter 17, we're in, chapters, we're in chapter 18, but in chapter 17, Elijah comes on the scene, right? And he addresses King Ahab for the first time, and basically he says, King Ahab, you have led the Israelite people away from the Lord. To worship Baal. Now, interestingly, Baal was the god of fertility. What that meant was he was in charge of the weather, rain, thunder, lightning, all of that. He was in, char- he was in charge of, of their livestock giving birth. He was, he was in charge of the fruitfulness of their crops. So anything that sustained life, that was Baal's doing, right? So, the, so, so Elijah comes on the scene and says, Ahab, here's what's going to happen. Until you stop worshiping Baal and you lead the people in the right direction, it's not going to rain in Israel until I give the word. And so what he was doing was it was a direct affront to Baal, and he was going to cut off the rain supply. So everything that Baal was supposedly in charge of would now not happen. And so by the time we get to chapter 18, it's been three and a half years. Not a drop of rain. So in Israel, there was a terrible drought in the land. And that's kind of where we are right now as we enter into chapter 18. No rain means no crops, which means famine occurs, which means no animals, which means people die. And when you have a situation where you are this desperate then comes anger and hate, feelings of revenge, and all of them were aimed at the prophet Elijah because he's the one who supposedly stopped the rain from coming. For three years, King Ahab had been looking for Elijah. And God comes to Elijah and says, I want you to go to King Ahab. And then Elijah's like, you understand what that means, right? I mean, I'm going to go to the guy who has a warrant for my arrest. It's basically a death sentence. But the truth of the matter was that, that Elijah had more confidence in God than he had fear of Ahab. So he goes to Ahab as was commanded by God. He goes and makes a visit. And so, so he walks into Ahab's court, and here's what Ahab says. Oh, So here is the troubler of Israel. That was Elijah's nickname. You're the troubler of Israel. And and then he looks at Ahab and says, no, no, no. You're the cause of the trouble. And the idea was, I didn't cause all of this to happen. Your worship of Baal has caused all of this to happen. So then he makes it very clear to him that uh, we're going to have a showdown here. So he turns to the people, and he has a conversation with the people about choosing God over Baal, and we'll get to that in just a second. But um, he addresses the people, and then he addresses the prophets of Baal, and he says, we're going to have a showdown on Mount Carmel. And this is one of the most exciting stories in the Bible. But he said, here's going to be the showdown, all right? We're going to take 450 prophets of Baal. We're going to get up on top of Mount Carmel. We're going to build two different altars. One altar is going to be for Baal and one altar is going to be for God or Yahweh. And we're going to put our sacrifices on top of the altar and we're going to pray to our respective gods and whichever God sends down fire and consumes the altar, that is the one true God. Now this was an easy thing for Baal, right? Baal was in charge of the weather. There are, um, there are pictures and, and findings of, of Baal with his arms stretched out like this and one arm is holding a lightning bolt, right? So he can send down fire from heaven in the form of lightning or whatever. Um, half bull, half man, that's what, that's what he looked like. And so he has incredible control over the weather. So we're going to see who really has control over the weather here. We're going to build two altars, one for your God, one for, one for Yahweh, and whichever God answers is the winner. So the prophets of Baal go first, and they pray all morning long. And they are wailing, and they are crying out, and they're trying to get attention. And right around noontime, Elijah begins to make fun of them. And this is actually what he says to them in verse 27. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. Yeah, means what you think it means. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So he's taunting them and teasing them. So then they take, it up, they take it up a notch, and they begin to literally cut themselves to where they are bleeding and doing everything they can to get the attention of Baal to send down the fire. But nobody heard them because nobody was there. So then Elijah prepares the altar. A lot of significance here. He, he chose 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He builds up this altar, stacks wood on it, puts the animal on top of it, digs a trench around it. And then he says, I want you to get four barrels of water. And they bring four barrels of water, and he says, pour it on top of the offering. So they pour it on the offering, and the water begins to soak into the animal, into the wood, down into the trench. He says, do that a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And now the water is so saturated, the offering, that the the trench around the, the altar is now full of water. And then he just prays a prayer. 62 words, and here was his prayer in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 18. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the Bible says that fire fell from heaven. And it didn't just consume the sacrifice. The Bible says that it consumed the offering, it consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, the water, and the dust around the altar. Complete. And God answered his prayer. And then here's what happened. Then the people knew, I love, I love what the Bible says. Then the people knew that the Lord was God. You think? When you saw the futility of praying to to Baal for for, for six hours, nine hours, and then you see him say a 62-word prayer, and God responds immediately. What, What a magnificent occurrence. And the Bible says that the people fell on their faces, and they simply said this, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What a humbling moment in their life. To say the least, it was a bad day for the prophets of Baal, trying to keep this G-rated. But the people chased them all down, wrangled them all up. And they passed on into eternity that day. Um, they lost their heads. They just, its a bad day. It's a bad day. But the people of Israel wanted to be sure that these men never try to convince anybody else to worship Baal instead of the Lord. It's an exciting story. I would have loved to have seen it happen in person. I'm so grateful that it's recorded in God's word. But Elijah's big, super characteristic that I see throughout the story is his incredible confidence in God. Now, Elijah is a larger-than-life character, and this is just the beginning of what we learn about him. And and he had ups and downs in lives just like you and I have, but his incredible confidence in God. And I love this. It's basically confidence in God as being certain that God can and that God will and acting accordingly. Like I am that, bless you, Margie, but I am that confident in God That I don't only believe that God has the ability, but I believe that God will do it. And then I behave accordingly. Because we tend to have confidence in things, (laughs) much like the people of Israel, we have confidence in strength and human wisdom and our finances and our job and political leaders. Okay, maybe not so much. People who will let us down we tend to place our confidence there when we do instead, what we should do instead is have our confidence in those things which are eternal, like the effectiveness of prayer and, and the help that we find in God's word and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and good people and a great God. Because here's the truth, we tend to be people-focused and problem-focused, don't we? Like, so here's the thing, right? We come to church on Sunday. Thank you for being here. It's very difficult to have church without people. Well, we come to church on Sunday, and it's like encouraging, and we sing together, and we, we enjoy the message, and we enjoy our relationships with each other, and we feel spiritually elevated. Like, we feel like that was a shot in the arm, and it's just a, a good time together. And it's like, then we wake up, and we hear the alarm on Monday morning, and then our work week begins, and for so many people, it's like we're living a different life now than the one that we had on Sunday in your, your Sunday life doesn't ever make it to your Monday life. Because all of a sudden on Monday morning, now you are looking at people and problems and situations and difficulties. And the Sunday God doesn't ever make it to the Monday life. We become very two dimensional. All of our problems are because of them. All of our problems are because of that situation. And all of, our, all of our solutions become very two-dimensional. If I could just do this, then I would affect change. If I could manipulate this situation, then it's going to come about the way that I think it ought to come about. We become very two-dimensional with everything. When in reality, rather than being people-focused and problem-focused, we should be God-focused not just on Sunday, but starting on Monday. The people of Israel had placed all of their confidence in Baal, but don't we all do that? It's like we claim the name of Christ, and we're here, and we're motivated by our relationship with him, and we're here because we believe in the product. We believe in the person. We believe in this thing called kingdom life. And we are solidly committed to following Christ. That's why you're here this morning. Or at least you're interested enough to find out more. And that's why you're here this morning. But at the same time, we tend to keep one foot over here in the security and confidence in what our job provides and our relationships provide and what our bank account provides. And Elijah had a way of making this incredibly clear to the people of Israel. He said this in verse 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Now that's a really complex statement right there. He says this, If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And check out the response that he got. And the people answered him not a word. That phrase, how long halt ye between two opinions, is really, it's really complicated because the word halt ye right there is the word in the Hebrew that has several different meanings and it's a very contextual, contextually dependent use, right? So like um, pasach is, is what the name is. It's P-A-C-A-A-H-K. pasach. But it, but it is like, it is this word that means either to leap And step over, or it means to limp. Which, you know, when you look at it at first, you're like, what to, how is that even similar? It's the same word. It's actually the same word that he used when he made fun of the Baal prophets when they were marching around their altar. He was saying that you're limping around it. So the ESV actually translates it this way. It says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And that's what I'm saying. It's like on the one hand, we are like solidly in with Jesus. We know that we are eternally secure. We began this relationship with him. We know it's significant. It makes a difference in our life. But on Monday morning, it doesn't really make that much of a difference because now I'm dependent upon my boss and my job and my bank account and my relationships, and we are doing a really good job, so we think, of trying to straddle between the two. And rather than being solid and God-focused, we become very people-focused and very problem-focused. We use a similar expression today, like, like you're trying to, to uh, get the best of both worlds, or straddling the fence, or hedging our bets. You've got both sides, you, get your, you know, you're grabbed onto both sides. And Elijah tried to make it a very clarifying moment for the people of Israel, and they said not a word. So here's Elijah's message to the people of Israel, and I dare say for us as well. Number one, it's time to lose your limp. It's time to lose your limp. We're limping around between trusting God and trusting ourselves. We're we're limping around in life and we're not fully appreciating and exercising the incredible freedom and the incredible life that we can have in Jesus Christ because we don't focus on him enough. Like we have that head knowledge that we're living in the kingdom of God and that it's a different set of rules and it's all about what he wants us to do and abiding in the vine and living in the spirit and and living the victorious life, whatever that looks like. And and yet, on the other hand, we get wrapped up in the day-to-day worries and concerns and struggles and problems. We are limping around between trusting God and trusting our job and our finances and whatever gods that are out there. We're trying to straddle the fence only to lead to ineffectiveness as a believer. And again, it's like we're happy as believers living a life that's just a little better than everybody else, a little better than our neighbors. And it's like we punch our time card and come to church. And because we've trusted Christ somewhere in the past, And because we punch a time card and come to church for 60 minutes on a Sunday, sometimes 70 minutes depending on the message, it's like we think our life ought to be like a six instead of a five. But, folks, we are so missing out on what life can look like in this kingdom of God And Elijah's saying, it's just time to lose your limp. It's time to go all in. You either fully trust God or you fully trust Baal. And before we're too hard on the people of Israel, we all have a Baal. Now listen to me. I don't know what it is in your life that's convinced you to place your trust in it rather than God, but we all got something. We all got some things. We got plenty that worry us, that keep us awake at night, that that we struggle with, that we have a hard time with, that we can't trust God enough with because God is not as great as whatever this problem is because our focus is on the problem, our focus is on the person, our focus is on the situation rather than on him. And we spend our frustrated Christian life trying to limp around and barely get by, hoping that our life and our relationship with Christ makes us just a little bit better than everybody else. And then when we get to heaven, everything's going to be better. That's not at all what God intended. He gave his son not so that you can pray and get a closer parking spot. He gave his son to make a significant difference in the life that you live so that you can have significant impact on this world. That's what it's all about. That's all in. So think about this. Baal was the god of the land of Canaan. Put your thinking cap on here, right? He wasn't the God of the Israelites. (sighs) But the Israelites were living in Canaan. And so Baal became their God because of where they were living. And we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And yet so uh, so many of us have adopted the God of this world whatever he looks like for you rather than following the God who gave his son and the difference that that ought to make. So the God Baal was their God of fertility. So everything that they got in life came from this God. And they would credit him for all of the successes in their lives there's so much application here. I hope you're kind of reading through my lines here. They credited Baal for all of the successes in their lives. They made great sacrifices to keep Baal happy. They sacrificed their livestock. They sacrificed their children to keep Baal happy. So that the good things would continue to happen. So, what areas in our lives are we willing to make sacrifices of our families and of our children just to keep the cash flow coming? Just to make our life a little bit better than everybody else? So, what we need to do, and this is just what I'm getting here, is I don't know what you're crediting for your prosperity. But God is the true God. He's the one who made it happen. He's the one that, that should get credit and that we should have confidence in. So let me give you just a few things that will help increase your spiritual confidence level. So I don't know where you are on the spectrum here. Like if, if you have you exercised enough faith to trust Christ and to begin a relationship with him, and you basically gave him your future. Like, I believe that he can take me to heaven. I believe that that this relationship with him will save my soul. So you have made that commitment. You've taken that step, and that's where you are in this journey. And you understand that church is important, so you're here. I'm not sure where you are and what else in your life you need to have that level of confidence in. But what I want to try to do this morning, in five minutes, is just increase your spiritual confidence level up another notch or two. So here's a couple things. First of all, I think it's important that you know who it is you're placing your confidence in. Because an arbitrary, so to speak, perceived view of whatever whoever God is, is not enough to cut it. You need to know who it is you're placing your confidence in. He is a person that loves you, that gave his son for you, and that is the individual, that is the person that, he, that, that we need to have a relationship with. We need to see him. We need to focus on him. Because when we see a great God, then we don't see great problems. But if we don't see a great God, then everything else is blown out of proportion. Know who it is you're placing your confidence in. And then choose, because it is a choice, choose Him over people and problems and stuff. So question, I mean, he, so here's the thing. I don't know what I don't know what that stuff is. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know who the jerk is in your life but choose God, like on purpose, give it over to him and focus on his goodness and his ability to correct the situation. It is a choice. I mean, you're here. So you're, you're here this morning, not because there's anything magical about this place, but because you believe God and you're looking for something and there's value here. I get it. But now you've got to decide to live it So taking it from Sunday to Monday, choose him. It is a mind shift. And then do the next thing (laughs) that he asks you to do. And this is what I love. It's like on a Sunday morning, I don't know how many people are in here. I'm a pastor, so I'd say there's about 800 people in the room this morning. So it's like, Every one of you have a different story to tell. And every one of you are in a different place spiritually. And so for me to get up here on Sunday morning and to say, this is what it needs to look like for you, and this is the area that you need to trust God, I mean, there are times when I really feel prompted to say, this is an area where I think we need to grow. But for the most part, your area is going to be different than my area. And so when I say, do the next thing he asked you to do, Like every part of that is exactly what I mean to say because where he is asking me to grow may not be the same area that he's asking you to grow. But I promise you, there is something in your life that needs to change, that we need to give more over to him, that we need to, and I know that's very general, but I, I just feel like it's specific to where, whatever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. So do the very next thing that he asks you to do. It's called exercising your faith, which will then build confidence. I don't know what it is for you. What is that for you? The area that you need to build your confidence in, in God. Because the more successes that you have, the more confident you will be. So Elijah said, how long are you going to go limping around? How long will you just halt between two? Let's take our Sunday faith into Monday. Can we do that? Let's take our Sunday faith into Monday. Let's keep the Sunday God with us on Monday, and get to know him better. Make the decision to choose him over problems and people and stuff, and then do the very next thing that he asks you to do. And here's what's beautiful. Like, like, I don't know what that next thing is for you, but you already do. Like most of you, if your brain cells are functioning, All right, so that eliminates a lot of us. But if your brain cells are functioning, right, there's something in your mind that you're like, I know God wants me to exercise faith there. I know that whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in your finances or whether it's in how you're living your life, whether it's a decision you have to make, whatever it is, (laughs) get to know the Lord, choose him over Baal whatever that other thing is, and then you just decide to do the next thing that he asks you to do. And then what that does is it builds your confidence level. And your spiritual confidence level goes a little bit higher. So rather than looking at Elijah and not saying a word, you're responding to, oh no, I know God is the reason I'm here. And God is the reason I have what I have. And God has a purpose for me being here. And I want to respond and do the next thing that he asked me to do. I want to build my confidence and make my life significant in the kingdom of God. So that my spiritual walk means a little bit more than just a little better. It means I'm all in. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for beautiful stories like this. And there's so much more to it. There's so, there's so much in this chapter that we can apply. But I pray that as folks are here this morning and, and they're in different places on their spiritual journey, that we would all increase our confidence in you and our belief that you are in control and then that we would be obedient in the areas of our life that you direct us to be obedient in.